everybody and welcome to episode 129 of Master My Garden Podcast. Now this week's episode, I'm looking forward to it actually. Uh, I'm joined by Claire Rooney who has uh, an excellent Instagram page called She Sow Seeds. And Claire is gardening, but she's gardening in, I suppose, she has some challenges. One of them being uh, chickens, as she called them herself, sometimes a little bit feral. <laughs> and uh, she does a lot of growing of... Uh, pumpkins, tomatoes, and all types of veg and flowers has an honesty stand. And what I love about it is that she's very honest on her Instagram page. She shows the fails as well as the, as well as the lots of successes that she has. And, uh, yeah, just a great account to follow and a great gardener. So Claire, you're very, very welcome to Master My Garden podcast. Thank you very much, John. That was a lovely intro. You make me sound like I'm very interested. <laughs> <laughs> well it's definitely it's definitely a, a brilliant account to follow um as i say it's very real um you you show the the, the chickens when they've pulled up a, a you know a cut flower patch or the fails <laughs> or whatever works well and what doesn't work well which is always good and uh i've seen you doing some of your uh diy stuff you get stuck in yourself <laughs> and uh it's yeah it's it's a great account to follow there's one which is not garden related that, that i know you do around christmas time is the wine reviews oh um, yeah <laughs> i literally have nearly fallen off my couch on a couple of occasions looking i don't drink wine i have no clue what a good wine bad wine is um, well you can probably don't tell like from it at my all. reviews that i don't know what a good wine or a bad wine is either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but your reviews just really I, I i genuinely have nearly fell off the couch laughing on a couple of occasions at it so <laughs> it's uh yeah from that point of view alone it's worth it's worth following and um, but you're doing a lot of gardening uh across a lot of different types as i said your pumpkins which we're going to talk about in in a bit of depth. Uh, you describe yourself on your Instagram page as the queen queen of the pumpkin patch. Uh, you have chickens. You're growing tomatoes and lots of other stuff. So maybe just tell us about gardening. Uh, in terms of, have you always gardened? Did you just get into it recently? What size of garden are we working with? And and all of that sort of things to sort of t- set the tone before we get into the more specifics of of pumpkins and whatnot. Okay, so I started off gardening and growing my own about 13 years ago and um, I had just moved in with my husband and he was doing a night course so he was kind of gone most evenings and weekends and I was living somewhere that I didn't really know anybody um, and I didn't have anything to do in the evenings and I don't know what even prompted it but I just decided I would get an allotment because I thought it was a good thing you know to get you out in the evening get you moving you're not sitting at home on your own yeah. watching the deli. And it kind of all started from there. I mean, my mom and dad always did gardening. And my dad always had like a glass house with a few tomatoes going when I was growing up. Um, but I wasn't interested in that now growing up at all. You know yourself when you're a teenager and your mom and dad say, do you want to yeah. come out and help me in the garden? And you go, absolutely not. <laughs> um, so really, it was 13 years ago when I got my allotment. And when I tell you, I did everything wrong. I had very little success. But when you did get that one tiny success, that kind of started it for you, a trigger. You'd just be so proud of yourself. So it kind of went, yeah. kind of went from them, from then, and that's really what got me into it. So I've had like allotments and gardens and stuff of various kind of sizes and that over the years. And it was actually back in 2020 I was put on, um, I was put on furlough at work, like so many people were. And I was kind of sitting there thinking to myself, going like, you know, 
I don't have a fallback here. And then I was like, well, mm-hmm. I love growing pumpkins and I love growing tomatoes and I always grow too many. So what if I just did a little bit extra and I could sell them? And even if it's a few quid out of it, and it just kind of started from there, it was just something that I loved doing, uh, you know, kind of a passion and a hobby that I just decided I'll just do a little bit extra. And that's how I've started the farm. And um, well, I call it a farm. It's just a big guy. But that's how I started the <laughs> farm and the honesty stand. And um, I'm planning on starting to sell in farmers markets this year. I just I'm waiting for a few things to come around. So I've got um, a gazebo on order because obviously, you know, the last thing you want is to go to a farmer's market to be standing out in the rain. You need a bit of a shelter. So yeah, yeah. I have that on order. And hopefully now over the summer, I'll be going in with like my flowers and my pumpkins. And I do a few little like crafts, like I make bird feeders out of teacups and cake stands and things like that. So, yeah, all that sort of thing I'm hoping to um get into this year but it all comes Brilliant. down at the end of the day too it'll be mainly the garden the garden stuff like the vegetables and the flowers i'll be selling yeah brilliant so and you, you just you, you touched on something there that actually i think is a really important point particularly if somebody's starting out um you'll have a lot more you'll have a lot more and in, initially you'll have a lot more downs than ups but this is something that i think people really need to latch on to is the is the actual pride you'll have even if it's only a head of lettuce that you bring in the pride of bringing that in and having it for for tea obviously you won't have lettuce on its own but the the point i'm making is to be able to bring something in and eat it yourself there is a a level of pride obviously there's all the other benefits that there's no need to talk about now but the pride that you get from actually producing something yourself that you can bring and eat as a family whatever is like that's something that people really need to to latch on to, even if there is a few fails. I think that's a really important thing is is the pride of of being able to do something like that. I tell you one thing: if you only managed to grow one head of lettuce, you will make an entire meal out of that head of lettuce, and that will be the main occasion for dinner that night because you will just be so proud of yourself. It's absolutely un believable you know yeah and i always say to people you know first of all if you're thinking about starting to grow make sure that it's something that you eat because if it's something that you're not into that you're not going to eat you're not really going to mind if it doesn't work but if you manage to grow something that you like eating and you look forward to eating then it will be such a big deal to you you know yeah that's brilliant actually that's something i've said so many times and i've run a couple of grow your own courses this spring and that is one of the very first points is grow what you want to eat. Um, like, cause it's, lo- it's lovely to go in and buy all these, you know, fancy vegetable plants and seeds. But if you actually don't like them, then why would you grow them? And like, as an example here, I know everyone or a lot of people grow cucumbers. I absolutely hate them. I wouldn't eat them if they were, <laughs> if they were, I just don't like them. Uh, and I know all the benefits of them and all the rest of it, but I just don't like them. So I don't grow them at all. Um, but what I do like, I grow lots of, and uh, I think that's that's definitely the starting point for anyone if they're if they're looking to get going at it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, like I'll give you an example now. I don't like radish. I've tried them. Okay. Every different way you can imagine, I have tried radish, and I just can't yeah. like them. And it's so annoying because they're so easy to grow. But I actually yeah. still grow them now because the chickens love them, and they right. they um they grow so quickly. You know yourself, like within nearly three weeks, yeah, you're putting a radish weeks, seed yeah. down, you'll you'll have it, and you can eat the tops as lettuce leaves as well as salad leaves. That's right, yeah. So they're so versatile. So I would say to even anybody, like if you eat radish, start with a radish. It's a fail safe. Yeah, definitely. You know, but yeah, definitely, definitely Ra- the, the, just to say on the fails, right? I get really annoyed when I see online 
where everything is perfect and everybody yeah. and then you see somebody and they'll make a big deal about growing something and then all of a sudden they'll go quiet and you'll never see the end product on it and you'll know yourself mm -hmm. that is because it hasn't worked out for them and i never yeah. understand why they don't talk about it because i'm yeah, like yeah. you know i've as i said have had so many fails over the years and it's the fails that i have learned the most from it's not the success yeah, it's actually the fails and that makes you think about okay i wonder why that didn't work what if i try it different differently what if i do that but i think also as well when a lot of people when they get into gardening because sometimes it's portrayed as like like that you'll see people who just it's perfect all the time they won't show the fails but if they have mm. a fail themselves they kind of think oh well i'm no good at this and they might pack the whole thing in so i like to think if you show people the fails for yourself like as i said i'm at this 13 years and they're still like this year i am having absolute nightmare an absolute nightmare but i'm trying to be honest right. about that because i always think what if it's somebody's first year and they're having the same nightmare as me and they yeah. think okay this isn't for me i'm no good at it so i think it's very important to show the fails and talk about them Jeez, i think i think you must have seen a recording of one of the of one of the workshops i did in the spring <laughs> because that's exactly i started off talking about uh you know, exactly what you said uh grow grow what you like to eat but the first one of the first parts of it is is exactly that don't be worrying about what someone else is doing on instagram and how beautiful their vegetables look because at the end of the day if you're only going to eat what you're producing you're not going to be eating what the the person on instagram is producing so don't worry about what they're doing yeah. and and just worry about your own thing because i think there is in in well i suppose it's a society thing anyway but at the moment if somebody looks like they're uber successful at growing every crop and you have weeds everywhere and I have weeds everywhere here, there's no point in saying any different, but I'm still able to bring food to the table every day. And I think that's what matters is yeah. that you're able to grow what you want to eat. Yeah. Regardless of how it looks and that you're, you know, you're, you're getting the pride from that. And I suppose originally Master My Garden was set up to help people in their own gardens. And, and that is the thing. It's your own garden. So, don't be looking at what everyone else is doing. Yeah. Take advice from them. If someone has a fail, you'll maybe learn from that. But overall, it's your garden. Do 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 what you want to do in it, and do, you know, let let there be days where you where it fails badly, yeah. but there'll also be loads of success as well. So I think that's uh, yeah. And I think people points. will always ask you more if you share a fail. Yeah. Than if you just do successes. If you have a really pretty after picture. And no beginning and no middle as to how you got there and that if you had a problem mm. or you overcome it, people won't ask it as much. People will definitely learn more by, by seeing your fails because they'll go, oh, why did that happen? I want to avoid that or the same thing happened to me. Do you know how I could do it? So I think by sharing your fail, like you're saying that you want to get out there and help people and show them how to, to master their garden and definitely showing failures and talking about failures has to be a big part of that. And I think, as you said, yeah. it's kind of a societal thing at the minute that people don't want to talk about failures. They don't want to talk about where they went wrong. They just want to show this kind of perfect image all the time. And that's not real life. So I think yeah, it's, it's important real, to yeah. talk about. It's not real. Yeah. Like, I, to be honest, on around social media, I'm useless. I post when <laughs> I post when I have the podcast ready on a Friday, which I have every Friday. But within the podcast itself, I, I, I'm quite open about what has worked and what hasn't worked and yeah. what fails and what doesn't. So. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not a, an Instagram expert like yourself where I'd be. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, um, I, no, I, I'm quite poor at posting, if I'm honest about it. I, I need to be better at it. But uh, yeah, it's, 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 it just feels like another another uh, 
job on a, on an endless list, I suppose. So, well, there's much more important um, things in life to give your attention to, I think. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, but yeah, you've highlighted it there again. You definitely highlight your successes and fails, um, which is great. But tell us about all of the things that you're growing. Like, obviously, you won't remember them all. But uh, you know, broadly speaking, what are you growing vegetable wise? What are you growing fruit wise, if any, and and flower wise? Because I know flowers are quite an important part of of what you're doing there. So. The flowers thing I got into, right, because you know the way it's a big thing where everybody talking about food miles and food coming from here and not being sustainable and yeah. everything. Flowers is the exact same situation, yet nobody seems to consider sure, it yeah. in the same way. And yeah. there's so many flowers that you can grow here and they're they're so beautiful that it's something that I really want to get into and really want to promote. Um mm-hmm. Irish flowers. Um as I said, I'm having an absolute nightmare this year, an absolute nightmare, and it's all to do with the germination. Any of the plants okay. that I've got going and I put into the ground, they're fine. But it's trying to get the seeds to germinate. Um, and so, is this in the is this in the compost? Yes. Yeah. So. So you. Oh yeah. So this is what kind of prompted our conversation, yeah. and I suppose we'll go down that route in a minute, and then come back to what you're actually growing. Yeah. Um, so, so flowers wise, I like to do um, a mix of ones that kind of start in May and get me through to maybe the start of October. So okay. at the minute, I would have a lot of foxgloves on the go. Um, ideally, I would have more kind of filler plants like Orlea grandiflora, things like that. I, my cornflowers are on the go at the minute. Later in the season, I'll have like a lot of dahlias. I would I was hoping to have a lot of larkspur at the minute. Again, germination issues. So I have a, a very wide range of flowers and I, I could talk all day about flowers, <laughs> but I think people are probably more interested in the veg side of things. So, as I said... That's a bit of both, actually, on the podcast. So, yeah, by all means, chat about your flowers, yeah. So, like with the flowers, again, it's I grow flowers mainly that I like because, again, if I don't like the flowers, I'm not going to have that much interest in growing it. But I have started to grow dahlias, which I don't particularly... I'm not into dahlias, and I do slag people I know that grow dahlias because they get, like, really... um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like kind of militant about it. Like they're like their own little group about the dahlia people. I call them the dahlia yeah. brigade. Um, but I'm growing dahlias just purely because they are so popular with people with the flowers, you know, because I, I suppose you do have to balance it between flowers that you like to grow and you want to sell, but also what's popular and what will sell. So you kind of yeah. have to have a level head on you about it there. You can't just go all what you like. So I'm, I'm growing Just out of interest. Yeah. What is it that you don't like about dahlias? I just think they're overrated. Yeah. I just don't think as a pl- as a plant or as a flower. As a flower, like don't get me wrong, yeah. there's lots of different color combos and stuff, but I just think it, it, it's very they're a bit boring. Like yeah, I, I love the the basic bishop's children dahlia. Right. Um, for kind of two reasons, I like I like the the leaf, the the bronzy colored or the purpley colored leaf. Yes. But I think the flower is. I suppose it's not it's not spectacular. I have nicer ones, but the amount of wildlife it brings in, you know, butterflies, bees, I just think it's it's so simple. Flowers for a long time and pollinators love it. But I don't really get, you know, where they have the different the cactus they, I think they're quite ugly. Yeah, agreed. Um the uh, cactus flower day, I think I just really don't like the look of it. And then there's a lot of the other fancier ones that the pom pom, for example, I, I think they're ugly. Um, I don't think they look like a flower, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, um, and the bees so, can't get in to a lot of the hybrid ones. The correct, yeah. yeah. So they're actually no good to the bees. Yeah. 
Um, so it's really, yeah, the, for me, it's just the open flowered, typically the, the bishop's children or the that type one that I like. Yeah. But, yeah. It was only interesting to know because most people like dahlias, to be fair. No, it's very boring. Now, you can eat <laughs> dahlias as well. Did you know that? Yeah. So, I, di- I didn't know that until last year, but I, I, I saw... Um, Oh, Leone Cornelius was talking about it. That uh, yeah, you can eat the, you can actually eat all parts of it—the flower, the leaf, the stem, the root, yeah. or the tuber. But again, the, yeah, and I didn't nobody's know that. going to eat them because they cost so much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I've never eaten them, so I don't know what they're like. Have you? No, neither have I. But apparently, the different varieties all taste different. Right. So I mean, I, I'm not going to go and eat a daily tuber because chances are it's cost me seven quid, and I could like how many foods <laughs> could I buy for that, or you know how many yeah, yeah, potatoes yeah. could I buy and grow for that? So I'm not. Gonna <laughs> yeah makes sense makes sense uh sorry i'm after knocking you off your trail of thought so other other flowers that you're growing then so i yeah so i'm doing my um i've got foxglove and cornflower on the go i'll have a lot of amaranthus i've got syrinth which is a great one um as i said larkspur and kind of delphinium are my favorite but this year just wasn't to be with the germination rates unfortunately and i'm trying to grow for the first time more things that i can dry like straw flowers and billy buttons things like that so i I, i'm still very much in that experimental phase with the flowers to see what i like growing what goes well but um yeah there's a lot more flowers out there than dahlias that's all i'll say (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and veg wise then you're you're growing quite a bit so maybe tell us about that and what's uh so, what's popular on the on the honesty stand veg wise right veg is not popular on the honesty stand right i'm going to be very honest about that like the only thing that really goes is rhubarb but last year like i put out bunches of scallions i put out bunches of carrots radishes beetroot all that sort of thing and they don't move wow now Maybe they'd be better in a farmer's market and things like that, but they just were not shifting from my honesty set. And like right. that is another thing I have to be honest about because I don't want to lie to people that go, oh, your veg will fly off because it didn't fly off for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know. That's interesting. And I, I think the thing with veg is people are so used to paying so cheap for vegetables in the likes of Aldi and Lidl that they mm. just don't want to pay too much for it anywhere else and like i get it like people are squeezed things are hard at the minute and i'm trying to encourage you to spend you know five on a bunch of carrots and they're looking at you going i can get a kilo in aldi for 99 cents see you later you know so i do understand that so this year i'm not kind of killing myself to throw to to grow too much veg again it's more what i eat so i would be growing the likes of the scallions beetroot i try to do um as many shallots and onions from seed as i can again leeks because they just they're all brilliant you just throw them in the ground and you forget about them i am not doing any sort of cabbage brussels sprouts kale ever again i've had enough (laughs) i'm between butterflies between aphids and then the chickens chickens it's like a magnet for the chickens like and they just and I don't even like them that much. I'm not a massive brassica person. So I just decided I was going to save myself the heartache this year. And I'm, I'm just not doing them. And you know what? I feel such a sense of relief <laughs> yeah, from yeah, yeah. not doing them. But then I'm doing like, um, I've loads of garlic on the go. And then I have obviously like, um, I do a lot of salad greens. And I do um, obviously the pumpkins and the tomatoes. Like I am probably a little bit obsessed with tomatoes. So I eat tomatoes every day and i know again people would be like that's not very sustainable if you're flying them in the winter from whatever country and i know it's not and i'm trying to work on it but i just love tomatoes and i can't <laughs> be perfect and i try to be as good as i can where i can but during the summer um 
yeah, I grow as many tomatoes as I can. So I'd say I have the guts of maybe 140 tomato plants in the go now. All planted in? Yeah. Oh, wow. All grow from seed. Yeah, so I've, I have I said it on the podcast last week, I've overdone, the, overdone the, the tomato seeds this year. And when I say overdone, I have, I've now planted 30. I still have about 30 more that I'm debating will I or won't I. Um, and I think I'm going to just put them in, but definitely I don't need 30. I don't need 60 either, but I have them, so they're probably going in. Um, but I think I don't know why that, I don't know why I've done that, but uh, yeah, completely overgrown them. I had 20 plants last year. I had so many tomatoes. It was brilliant, but um, yeah. It happens. Somebody once described having tomato plants to me like having a dog. Because it's the same amount of care as a dog requires. Because you need to check them in the morning. You need to check them in the evening. You need to keep them fed. You need to keep them watered. They need a certain amount of attention as in grooming, pinching outside shoots. And you can't just go away for a weekend without wondering who's going to water the tomatoes. Same way you couldn't go away for a weekend (laughs) without wondering who's going to mind the dog. And it's very true. They are work. And again, you know, I'd always be honest with people and say tomato plants are a lot of work. But the the benefits of putting in that effort with them are unbelievable. Because if you eat a supermarket tomato, it literally tastes like nothing compared to a tomato that you grow yourself. Yeah, it's funny. You, you just when you were saying there a minute ago about you know someone going to the supermarket and buying a kilo for ninety nine cent or paying whatever for a bunch of of carrots. There's all vegetables and fruit taste better from your own garden or from a farmer's market. There's no question. Oh, absolutely. Um, but there's a few then that are are just so unrecognizable, and tomatoes are definitely one of those. Yeah. Like I cannot stomach tomatoes. Uh, out of season and from you know the the normal ones yeah i just think they're watery and not much taste but when you have one off your own plant with a bit of heat from the sun still in it like it is the difference is just phenomenal like they're they're like two different foods yeah and like the Uh, thing that always gets me as well is that like different varieties of tomatoes serve different purposes right so i kind of have a rule like i'm doing i think about like maybe 16 or 17 different varieties this year and I always kind of do my go-to varieties and then I do some new ones to try. Yeah. And like I have a kind of a rule myself if I'm growing a tomato, if it goes on my kind of keep list, my favorite one I do every year, it has to taste just as good fresh and raw as it does when it's cooked. So, for example, you've got a tomato called a San Marzano, which is called a paste tomato. So that's like yeah. for, you know, cooking sauces. Excellent for that sort of use. But see, eating it fresh, it's absolutely horrible like because it's got this real mealy kind of soft mushy texture the skin is a little bit on the tough side it it just doesn't make for pleasant eating when you eat it raw but a lot of people will say well i i grow them just specifically to do pasta sauces and things like that but my rule is no it has to be good to be eaten raw or cooked that's just the way i am so that's kind of my um my level when i'm testing a tomato and decide whether i'll grow it again is that it has to serve all the purposes but like even like say for example, like I would grow um I have these ones that I grow that I call Claire's Christmas lights because it's from a seed I saved from a tomato that I bought out of a supermarket like a couple of years ago and it's so good. Like it's so good. But they look like little Christmas lights all the way they hang right. with the shape and then they all go like yeah. they ripen at different times. And it's the most delicious cherry tomato like you will try. There's another one called Sweet Million Cherry Tomatoes. So if I was putting a bowl of tomatoes just on the table on their own for dinner, 
I would be going for something like that. There's another one as well called a black cherry tomato. Absolutely delicious, really juicy, really sweet, lovely taste. Yeah. But then if I was, say, doing like a capri salad where you're slicing the thick slices of beefsteak one and you're putting it in with the mozzarella, my go-to there would be something like a marmande or a black cream. Or if I'm doing a chopped up tomato salad, I like to go get something like a green Cherokee, a purple Cherokee, and then like a red Marmande. Yeah. So there's all different ones, all different colors that I would use for different recipes. And I just always think life is too short to eat the one variety of tomato from a supermarket that doesn't taste like too much. Now, again, I know I said yeah, I, know I do it. eat them during the winter because sometimes I just, because I love them that much, I just need me hit, as they say. But, um, <laughs> but I, I would definitely say if you have the space and time to grow tomatoes, give it a go they're so rewarding yeah without a doubt um in terms of like i talk about this a little bit um are you planting into the ground in your tunnel no so my tunnel's actually on tarmac all so right so i have raised beds in it brilliant and and what's what what compost or soil are you using in there um i have a load of spent mushroom compost i have um a oh, mushroom farm down the road from us and yeah. um, the man that owns that very kindly delivered me two 20-ton trailer loads of it when I was starting the farm. Class. So all of Class. my beds and everything are filled with the mushroom compost. Yeah, brilliant. Because um, you were talking about, you know, tomatoes being like a dog. And, and I actually, mine are planted directly into the soil. Yeah. And I get your point. Like, I they need a good bit of attention at the start. So you, obviously a good bit of water as you're getting them established. Yeah. But genuinely i'd say from august last year and i still i was only looking yesterday i still had quite a lot of tomatoes on the plants at the end of october um and i wouldn't say i watered twice maybe three times from august onwards um see that's probably fine because i know there is a thing called um the deep water method that if you only give them one big deep water every couple of weeks it forces the roots to go down and find their own water yeah, exactly um and that like if uh, like I kind of have that with the farm. Like, I don't water anything in the farm ever. It goes in and that's it. Um, yeah, it has to do with the thing then. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the same. I have no choice. But yeah, yeah. You're, you're in a different scenario. Yeah. And that's why you're probably having to, to water a good bit more. Yeah. I also use mycorrhizal fungi when I'm planting them in. Yeah. And the difference that that makes to the root zone is unbelievable. Uh, and I, I put a lot of I put a lot of that down to, you know, the fact that I'm not having to water down to the mycorrhizal. Yeah. Well, that's, um, I practice the no-dig method. Um, so once I put the, the compost down once, then I just top it up every year because I thought I want to try promote the soil health and not feed it, things like that, that the, the, the fungi is in the soil and it's kind of generating its own nutrients. But um, yeah. it's just a different story when you've got the beds and the polytunnels. So like that, they're full, yeah, of yeah, for the, sure, yeah. they're full of the mushroom compost. And this year now I top them up each of the bed, got to buy kind of a half a bag of compost on top of them. I'm going to see how they go this year. I don't know if they're going to need a feed. If they do, I'm going to see I have a bit of comfrey there. I'll chop that up with a bit of nettles. I'll do a tea out of that. I'll see if that's enough. If not, I'll have to go down the route of a seaweed feed. But I'm trying to avoid putting in fertilizers and things like that. In the ideal situation, I'll just have healthy enough soil that I can. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Um, as I said, you you on your Instagram page, you describe yourself as the queen of the pumpkin patch. Um, <laughs> so maybe just to give people you know, kind of a, a takeaway. Um, Give us the top tips for growing pumpkins. Now, just to put some context on it, I grew pumpkins last year, just three or four plants. And basically, I was only literally growing them so the girls here could have pumpkins for Halloween. 
didn't have any and don't have any great desire to eat them. Um, I know people do, but I had a small number as in about from from the from the four plants, about 10 in total pumpkins. They were massive. The ones the ones that I had were massive, but uh, and and I had loads. Like literally, it was it was only for Halloween that we had them. Um, But give people the the top tips for growing brilliant pumpkins. Well, I too also have only grow them for Halloween. I'm not mad into eating squash. I've tried it. I'm not that big into it. And again, it's the thing that prompted me to kind of start the farm was that I loved growing them. So I said like that I don't want them to go to waste. So I'll start selling them. The biggest thing about pumpkins is they are very, very hungry and they are very, very thirsty. So ideally you want to put them into like a really nutritious compost rich soil. Um, And if you're putting them into a pot, be prepared that you're going to have to feed them on a weekly basis and you're going to have to water them daily because they absolutely guzzle the water so keep on top of the water and and keep on top of the feeding would be my biggest thing with the pumpkins yeah. the other thing as well is you want to decide are you looking for a big pumpkin are you looking for a few really big pumpkins or are you looking for lots yeah. of little pumpkins yeah. so if i'm growing if i'm trying to grow a really big pumpkin or a giant what i'm doing is i am going to only let one pumpkin set on the plant mm-hmm. right And what I will do is I will try to let my plant get to a minimum of about eight to 10 foot long before I let a pumpkin set in it. So any pumpkins or fruits that start to set in it, they get snapped off. And I know some people will look at that in horror, but you you need a big plant to be able to deliver the nutrition to grow a big fruit, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. And when you say a giant pumpkin, what what was your biggest pumpkin? Did did you weigh it in terms of kilos or...? I did, yeah, and I should have checked this before. Hey, ballpark, it doesn't even... I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. I honestly can't. I'm dreadful at stuff like that off the top of my head. Yeah, because I, I didn't, I didn't like, the ones I grew, one of them was enormous. Well, or sorry, it was enormous in, in my eyes. <laughs> and certainly the, the girls thought it was huge. It was anything bigger than anything you'd see in the shop, generally. Um, yeah. And I think when I, when I weighed it, it was nine kilos, but I don't know if that's if that's really good or if that's like an average one i don't know um um i think i think mine would be up in the double figures but i just can't remember how much but again like to me they're big yeah you know what i mean they're not they're not nowhere near these huge ones you see them being able to grow over in america i know but to me it's big and it's more just a sport for myself to see if i can do my do a new personal best yeah, 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 when yeah. i grow them you know um like that again i'm only carving them and the see the bigger the pumpkin as well it's not going to taste very nice like the giant varieties aren't really for eating they're very watery they're very stringy yeah. so that's why most people don't grow them as well because even though you can eat them they don't make great eating if you know what i mean yeah for sure and um so watering and feeding are critical and in terms of pollination, like I know last year I had a hell of a lot of, I forget now, was it male or female, but I had a hell of a lot of one type of flower and I had to literally had to hand pollinate because there was only, as I say, I forget whether it was, I had a lot of male flowers or a lot of female, I can't remember, but I didn't have a good mix of them. There was a huge amount of one and only a handful of the other. I showed on Instagram last year me hand pollinating, right? My smaller pumpkins, my squash, I don't bother. I always grow flowers in my pumpkin patch to attract the bees. Yeah. So they're coming in and around and they're going to do the pollination mm-hmm. for me, right? But with my big ones, because I want to make sure they're definitely getting pollinated, 
I would do the hand pollination myself, yeah. right? And I remember putting it on Instagram last year and some people were like, that's disgusting. <laughs> like, Well, I, I, I did like a reel. Your, your, I, I said I'm no good at Instagram. Having sex. And I was like, <laughs> Know yourself. We're all adults, like. Yeah, well, I did. I did a, a reel on it, and I am useless on Instagram. But I think it was the first reel I ever did, and I've done about five since then. But I, I did that exact <laughs> same thing to the Marvin Gaye music, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was funny. But yeah, I, I, I had to hand pollinate because there was so much of one and of and not enough, and I forget which way it was, but, but it was, uh, it was good. Yeah. yeah. No, if you, if you, if you want guaranteed pumpkins you do have to hand pollinate because i think you have a very short window like i think it's maybe only like a 24 hour window where the, the flowers will stay the female flowers will stay open to allow themselves yeah, to pollinate. Yeah, yeah. so i would always with the giants hand pollinate and i actually my husband sent me a video i think he's seen it on tiktok or something where the person um was pollinating them but they were actually like like tying clothes the female flower because apparently with wind and everything, and then say if you pollinate it and a bee goes in, that might take the pollen and fly off. So to keep it in there. All right. Yeah, yeah. So they're sealing it back up again. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Exactly. So I'm going to try that out of interest this year. Yeah. Um, but I would definitely say if you want a biggie, let your plant get quite big. Only let one fruit set in it and hand pollinate it yourself. If you're not worried about getting a massive pumpkin and it's... it's um quantity over quality that you're looking for well then just leave them all on and let them go wild yeah um again if you're giving it enough water and enough nutrients and enough feeding it'll be able to support them definitely and and yeah you, you need a bit of space for them then as well um your chickens you mentioned them uh, in, before we started recording you re- mentioned them as being bordering on feral and uh being a, a constant challenge no 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 they're, they're not bordering they are, <laughs> they are feral <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no border. They're just insane. Yeah, so they're they're wrecking the garden when they get out. Have you managed? Because I know you yeah. were challenged at one stage of keeping them in the run. How are you getting on with that now? Uh the only saving grace I have is that they don't like nettles and there's a lot of nettles up around the edge of the fence, which means they can't dig right. into the fence anymore because they don't like going through the nettles. Um but they will try any and every way to like to get into the farm because it's like they know they're not allowed the stuff in there. And like, I wouldn't mind, like when I do a run, like I have a far, like I have a fenced off, like we have a whole woods out the back where they can go and run yeah, wild. There's no lettuce in, the in there for it's them. It's like they know. Exactly. It's like they know they're not yeah, allowed yeah. in there. Um, no, it's, it's a challenge if, if, if hens, because uh, as I said earlier, I have uh, a wildflower patch that I'm trying to establish and I have two leghorn hens that um, I suppose they're here a long time. All of their brothers and sisters met a bad end one night with a fox. So I kind of, I kind of, I, I don't know. I let them run right because I feel sorry for them a little bit, I think. But my God, did they wreck the place. Um, I've saw the yeah, wildflower. And that's another thing a lot of people don't realize, I think, when they're getting hens. Because I think it's, it's great to see people, you know, with smaller urban gardens. And they say to themselves, they're going to get one or two hens. And it's great, especially if they have kids, because kids love oh, yeah. chickens. You know, anytime I have family or friends who come down, like the first thing the kids want to do is straight into the chicken run, pick the eggs up. They love it. But I think it's just something that people should be aware that they're very destructive. So if you have a lovely garden, pen off an area before you get the chickens because they will have to destroy it. Um, We spoke a little bit uh, last week on compost and you've mentioned it earlier, earlier in this episode that you're struggling with germination. Um, Yeah. So. 
the gist of it, uh, if I'm right, was that you're trying to go peat free, as a lot of people are, and yeah. germination is a big problem. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess. I suppose. Look, the, for me anyway, the obvious, the obvious thing is that look, we all should be going if we can peat free. But I really think the the consistency is absolutely not there with ninety no. percent of the compost out there, with the exception of. With the exception of one, which is probably the classman one, I've spoken about it on the podcast previously. Um, I have literally, off the same pallet, had two bags of peat-free um, seed compost, and they came off the same pallet. And one of the bags yeah. was really good. Germination was fine. Growth, growth after they germinated wasn't brilliant, but it was okay because you could move them on. Yeah. But germination of the second bag was absolutely diabolical and and there is no other reason for it other than that than the compost and that's what i that's what i find and i go every year to trade shows in the uk and in germany gardening trade shows and i see absolutely beautiful peat-free compost at at these shows Uh, but i just don't think we have access to any real quality stuff here apart from that one that i mentioned it's a no, but I tell you as well, right, even in the countries that have this beautiful peat-free compost, it's not readily accessible yeah. to everybody because you will find it's generally quite mm-hmm. expensive. You might have to buy it in a large quantity that people don't always have yeah. the money for. And people don't always have the room for it. You know what I mean? There are some people who just have a balcony with one or two pots and one bag will do them yeah. the whole season. And it doesn't seem to cater to people yeah. like that or people who possibly are on low incomes because I think like if ever there was a time growing your own was important for somebody it's somebody who's on a low income mm-hmm. you know what I mean because like a small packet of seeds like like even if you buy a packet of lettuce seeds for three quid like that'll get you through nearly the whole year probably well, growing lettuce, you know but it's it's very hard for people that don't have the money to go pee free and that's one of the things that's kind of annoying me about it because if you don't have much money and you've tried to make the effort to go and buy a bag of P3 compost in your seeds and then you get it and you get absolutely nothing yeah. out of it because the germination is so bad and the performance, as you said, like germination is a killer. But also, I, I completely agree with you. My plant just basically just stood still once they start growing in the P3 yeah, compost. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I saw a lot of. Uh, to the point, to be to the point, what I'm using now is peat multipurpose compost because I know exactly what it's going to do. Yeah. It's going to germinate. I know it's going to grow and then I can move the plant on. Uh, I accept it's not ideal, you know, but um, I do. I, do, I don't think that the options are good enough at the moment. Um, they should be. They should be, to be fair, because we, you know, in all honesty, there probably has been enough. Um, we probably have known for long enough that at some point Pete would have to have to move out. I think it has probably happened in Ireland, particularly it has happened almost overnight, really. Um, but then some of the, like I've seen online and we speak about Instagram earlier on, you see people online sticking up blocks of cocoa coir and saying, you know, we should be all using this. Absolutely no way should you if you're from Ireland and the UK because it's coming from uh, the other side of the world. It takes a massive amount of water to wet it and it's in 99% of the case, it's, it's not, um, it's not a, an environmentally friendly or a, at local level, it's not very fair to the, to the farmers and the locals in that area. You know, there's a lot of trees being cut down to, to actually come up with this cocoa coir. So 
it's and I I was only looking not. up about it recently because there is a lot of people that say I'll oh, try coconut core. I didn't realize yeah. that it has to be soaked for so long before it can be used. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. if they if it's an area where say like they have more access say to the sea than fresh water and they leave it soaking in the sea, then it takes more fresh water to flush the salt out of it from it being in the sea. Plus, they need to yeah. leave it sitting for a year to dry it. And at mm. the end of that, there's no nutrients in it. Yeah, and and like where where it originates, there is a lot of basically forests being hacked down to produce yeah. it. Now, I guess if it's if it's been done sustainably and been done in in the proper way in the proper channel, and you live quite co- close to the source, then absolutely that would be you know a viable alternative. But for us in Ireland or the UK, where the majority of my listeners are, I don't I don't see cocoa coir as in any way. I would I would find it you know it has to be more detrimental to the environment than you know, a, a bag of peat, um, which on the scale of things, okay, uh, I've said it already, we should be trying to get away from it. But on the scale of things, the level that's used in horticulture um, is not all, you know, I suppose when people talk about something like this, um, I think you have to look at it a bit more objectively. It can't be, yeah, co- cocoa is good uh, and peat is bad. Well, I suppose you have to look at the journey and, and all of that. I agree with you on that one because I think sometimes when people are coming across um, or people are trying to make their point about these things, they come across as very black and white and it's peat is bad for the mm-hmm. environment, coconut core is better, right? And as you yeah. said, it's not that black and white because at the end of the day, right, so you've got your peatlands, they're only 3% of the world, but they're they're sequestering twice the amount of CO2 that all the forests in the world combined are. Yeah. So I'm the first one to stand up and say they are so important. We need to stop harvesting the peat out of them, leave them as they are, Right. But the other side of that is, if I can't get a compost that's good enough to germinate my seeds, right, I have to go somewhere and buy plug plants. So where are those plug yeah. plants coming from? How far have those plug plants travelled? What are those plug plants being grown in? And to me to say, go, OK, I'm going to go pea free except for this one like 80 litre bag of pea compost that I'm going to buy once a year that I'm going to use to germinate my seeds and then I can move them on. Because I know a lot of people say, well, why don't you make your own compost? I do make my own compost, but I can't use it for seed starting because my compost heap is never going to get hot enough to kill off the weed seeds. So I could end up with like loads of trays of weeds and then I'm back to square one, you know. And I think as well, it has to be considered that a lot of the companies that do produce the peat are now starting to produce this pea-free compost and they're saying like, oh, we're going to move towards pea-free. And I'm like, well, actually, if you're able to produce it now and it's that sustainable and you think it's that good, why are you not cutting your peat straight away? Mm-hmm. So they, I don't yeah. think it is that good. And part of me, and it's a very, very cynical part of me, and I could be totally wrong, but part of me is like, are they producing a subpar product to keep people on peat? Like, you do have to wonder about that as well. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I think, I think not. Um, but what I do think is happening is that the the peat free, obviously, the, like if as I say in the UK, there's several really they're quite small niche suppliers, and I look at their compost, uh, picked it in my hand, I smelled it, and without ever using it because we can't bring it across, without ever using it, I know that that will grow brilliant seedlings, brilliant plants, and it would be lovely to have access to it, but we don't. But because the peat-free agenda has got so big and there's so many people online talking about it, there has been so much uh, media talk about it that 
the system is just not able to produce because a lot of this is coming from obviously municipal sites and the the green bins that people send in and it's just not producing it's not getting enough time to come through the system and it's not being produced in a way that's specific for sowing seeds it's been basically we we're going to need for a forecast for next year we're going to need one million pallets of peat free get it done and because there's such a demand now, I think the system is, is, is not fast enough behind it to actually supply the quality. Um, I think that's the issue. Oh, I'd, I'd um, say it's definitely contributing to the issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I just find sometimes with these companies, when it's proven that they're lobbying the government, that they have, that they don't want to stop harvesting the peach. you know what I mean? That I, mm-hmm. I find it very yeah. hard to believe that they are actually genuine about getting rid of it but I would much rather I know I would be shot for, by the anti-P people for saying this and I don't care because I would rather see somebody go and buy a bag of peat and try to grow something than r- not try at oh, all like there's no question as I say I, I'm still using multi-purpose because it's the only it's the only one that I can be 100% sure on and like when you look at what so as an example um, if it's as basic as the tomatoes we spoke about, the lettuce we spoke about, I'm basically replacing a plastic punnet every week for the rest of the year yeah. on that. Um, same with the lettuce and all the other vegetables. You know, you're, you're removing so much plastic, oil, yeah. uh, food miles and all the rest of it. So if you're growing at home and you want to be sure of sowing so seeds, look, I suppose the ideal is peat-free, but I don't see that we have it with the exception of, of Classman, which, as you said, is, you know, it, you're, you're paying high money for that. Yeah, and so, not everybody has that high money. Yeah, the net, the net at the end of it all is you're, you're, still, you're still doing good by, by growing your own veg and taking a certain amount of that plastic out of the system. So, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, again, as you said earlier, it's, it's not always just black and white. It can't be. There's just too many variables there, I think. Yeah, and my thing is like, you're never going to do everything perfectly. So, but do what you can when you can. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it's been. I know you're looking to get back to work, um, or maybe not looking to, but needing to go back to work. <laughs> but <laughs> um, we've talked for a little bit longer than we than we said we might, um, as 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 can happen. But it's I been a really it. interesting chat. I warned you. Yeah, I know. It's been, a, it's been a great chat. <laughs> we talked about a lot of stuff, so I'm, yeah, I'm delighted. Um, I know you've recently started a YouTube channel, so maybe p- tell people where they can find you. I know you have a very good, as I said at the start, Instagram account. And maybe tell people about your Instagram account, your YouTube channel, and anything else you want to tell them about. Um, everything is under She So Seeds. Um, the YouTube, I'm very new to. I, I'm very raw. I, I do the whole thing myself. Like, I just film it on my phone, and then I edit it and everything myself. So... Yeah. Um, don't judge me on the quality. But at the end of the day, it's I find sometimes on Instagram people um don't necessarily want to go to Instagram for kind of long long form content, like a long video. People seem to prefer YouTube. And I, I yeah. really am getting into like sharing my knowledge of people and showing people what works for me. Um so that's why I've gone on to YouTube. So I kind of have a series like it's I'm um, how to grow tomatoes. So I started out with this is how you start your seeds. Then I started, yeah. then the next one was like pricking them on and things like that. So, so I'm, it's very much a, a how to on to, to grow a lot of things. So if that's something Brilliant. that you're into, that's on YouTube. Brilliant. Um, as I say, it's been a really interesting chat, very enjoyable. Um, definitely 
check out the, the wine reviews later on in the year. They're <laughs> hilarious. Um, but as I say, follow Claire for uh, very real, very real gardening content. And uh, yes, yeah, shares her successes and fails equally. So always, always good. Always good to see. Uh, Claire, it's been a really interesting chat. And thank you very, very much for coming on Master My Garden podcast. Thanks very much, John. I really enjoyed it. So that's been this week's episode. A huge thanks to Claire for coming on. Um, we went around a lot of topics. I think that Pete one is a really interesting topic. Uh, I know I've covered it previously. I've spoke about it. We covered it in depth previously. But it's yeah, it's a really interesting one and something we might come back to again. Um, lots of other good information there around pumpkins and tomatoes and all. So yeah, really, really great episode. And uh Looking forward to the next couple of weeks. I have some very, very good guest interviews coming up as well, going around the topics. So we all through the spring kind of focus quite a bit on growing your own food. And over the next few weeks, that will change slightly. And there's a lot of, you know, um, a lot of perennial talk and some very, very good open gardens coming up and so on. So lots to look forward to in the coming weeks. So that's been this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And until the next time, happy gardening. <music> Oh,